The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. It's always an honor to be here, and I uh, miss your pastor, Ray, very much. Met him in 1983, and one of the things I loved about Ray was, and I'm sure you're well aware of this, that he, he always talked about uh, stepping in the story. And he encouraged me many times to step in to the story. And I think that all of us, whether we know it or like it or appreciate it or not, we're, we're in the story, right? We're in it because of Jesus. And I have three children. They grew up fast. And I have an older son, a, a younger son, and a daughter who's right in the middle, Jenny. And Jenny actually worked here for several years at the, at the school. She was the... Um, high school Bible teacher at the academy for about three or four years. She lived out here, and it's when she was single, and loved this church, and loved Pastor Ray, and loved teaching there at, at the academy. But when my kids were growing up, I used to tell them, probably like you did, if you have small children, I'd, I'd tell them stories at night to just try to get them to be quiet, shut up, and go to bed, right? That's what you do. <laughs> So I'd go into my son's room, they had shared a room, and I'd tell them this story I made up. It was a story about um, Roscoe the river frog. I made it up, and Roscoe lived way, way up in a tree, and he would come down the tree, and he would come to our house, and he would knock on the door, and, and I would ask them, well, who do you think answered the door? And they would start naming off, you know, people's names. Of course, I, I didn't have a name in mind. I just let them talk for a while just to drag it out. They'd get tireder and maybe. Finally, I'd say, oh, no, it was so-and-so who answered. Oh, gosh. And we'd go through the whole story of what they had done the whole day, and Roscoe, would, the frog, would be with them, and then Roscoe would have to leave. She was tired. He was sleepy. So he'd leave, and he'd, he'd walk home way back up in the tree, and Roscoe would go to sleep. So I'd tell that story to the boys. And then I'd stop by my daughter's room and tell her the same story. But one of the things I loved to tell my daughter was this. I'd say, you know, Jenny, if I could line up all the little girls in the whole world, and I'd start naming off some of her friends, Natalie and Stacy and all the little girls I could think of that she was connected to. And I said, and I could just pick one little girl to have for my daughter. And she'd be laying there, and I'd go, I would pick, mm, and then I'd put my finger right on her forehead, and I said, I would pick you. And she would smile and kind of squirm, and she reminded me of that story just recently. She said, Dad, do you remember? I go, yeah, how could I ever forget? Well, Jesus, I believe, has chose you. And he's put you in the story, and he put you in the story called the church, his bride. Jesus said, I will build my church. Wherever two or three gather together, there I'll be in the midst of it. And he stands in the midst of the church, Revelation tells us, and he's coming back for the church. And so I want to ask you this question. The church, 
And let's say that, what would it be like if everyone, say for this church, Maranatha Chapel, if everyone in this church was just like you? If everyone attended like you? Or if everyone served just like you? Or if everyone, say, gave just like you or prayed just like you? What would the church be like? Because God has chosen to put you in the story, in the church. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and he would take his son, sacrificing for your sins and my sins, and he would rise from the dead and he would say, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he will choose, and he'll pick, and he'll draw, and he'll put people into the story. Listen to the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, if you have a Bible, chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul, he, he begins telling this story about the church. It's very, very interesting. He says, Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body. And this was radical stuff for the, the, the new church and the Jews of that day, partakers of his promise and Christ through the Gospels, of whom I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, Paul would say, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all see, not just Gentiles, but to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church. That this great mystery, this great wisdom of God is going to be made manifest by Jews and Gentiles, this thing that God has created called the church, even to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. And I, I think that speaks not only of angels, but also those dark powers, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord, his eternal purpose, the church. Why the church? That's the title of the message. And perhaps you've heard or perhaps you've said or perhaps you've seen someone who says, well, I love the church. Sometimes. It's those people I don't like too much. I'm crazy about Jesus, but the church, I don't know. Sometimes it seems compromised or phony or, or too much entertainment or you might be one here today who say, well, I was hurt by the church. I was offended by those people. I was bored by the church. I was forced to go to the church when I was young. So who needs the church, you might say? The thief on the cross didn't need it. He went to heaven. There's so many denominations and different opinions about the church. 
Well, I, I want you to listen. I want you to tune in because I want to talk about why the church? Why? In, in this passage in chapter 3 of Ephesians, it tells us that the church has an eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church has an eternal purpose. It wasn't just some afterthought. God, you know, said, well, maybe we should have a church. But it's the central eternal purpose in God's plan for reaching the world, God's church. Now, I want you to kind of dial in. I want you to listen because we're going to go all the way back to the garden story, to creation, where God created all things and man is in the garden and God has finished his creation and he's, he's pronounced everything is good. The water's good, the, the plants are good, the sky is good, the, the animals are good, the garden is great. And then God says, well, there's, there's one thing that's not good. He says, it's not good for what? Man to be, what's that? Not good for man to be alone. And so God creates Eve. And we have the beginning of, of marriage. We have the beginning of family. We have the beginning of community. Relationship between two human beings have begun, not, not been on the earth before. Something totally different starts to emerge. Family, culture. And then came the day when Adam and Eve chose to disobey. They ate, as you know, the forbidden fruit. And it brought this deadly consequence into creation, into our world. Sin now enters the world and the result of man's disobedience, and this is a part of the message you need to hear, this disobedience created two things, twofold result, if you will. Separation between man and God. The relationships changed. God forces them out of the garden. The relationship is, is, is different. It's, it's broken now. There's, there's hurt. There's sin. Adam even goes and hides himself because he's afraid God's going to come after him. So, so it brings, as we know, uh, a consequence of a broken relationship between God and man, but it also brings a relationship change between Adam and Eve. Now Adam blames his wife. They, they recognize that they, they, they don't have clothes on. It says they recognize they're naked and, and they're ashamed. And they, 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 they cover themselves. There, there's an understanding now of shame. There's an understanding of, of relationship change between the two of them. And there's, there's tension. And there's this, this issue now between the first couple and the whole world. Relationship has changed between them and relationship has changed between them and their God. And this was the consequence and as you follow the story of the first family, they have children. Two brothers are born. 
And there's relationship issues between the two guys. I don't know if you had an older brother and a younger brother. I had a brother, and there's relationship issues, right? Well, this tension between these two boys, these two brothers, as you know, ends up and leads to the world's first murder, the first homicide, death physically. So, so Cain, the one who creates this issue, is separated from his family. And, and listen, now there's a whole new community that's being started. It's gone from the one in the garden to outside the garden, and now Cain begins to separate himself from his family, and he's going to build his own community. And now you have an alienation of cultures in the world. Things are changing. And here's what's interesting to me. By the time you get to the sixth chapter of the creation story in the book of Genesis, just, just six chapters into the Bible, listen to what happens. And God said to Noah, this is how, how, how things have so rapidly changed. Cultures have developed and people have multiplied. And, and you're only six chapters into the Bible. And God says to a man named Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. The earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. This is just six chapters from the time of Cain and Abel when, when they had their issues and family had been born and people had come into the world and now there's different cultures. And it says, this is how you shall make a, an ark, he tells him. 300, 300 cubits and he tells him how wide it's going to be, how long it's going to be. You'll make a window for the ark and you shall finish it. And it says, behold, I myself am bringing floods on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which there is the breath of air. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall go into the ark with your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, and you and every living thing of all flesh you will bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. And they shall be male and female. The whole world is filled with violence by chapter 6 of the book of Genesis. And the human race begins again from one family. Now, are, are, are you still with me? Breathe if you're still with me. Okay, good. Well, from Noah's community, from Noah's culture, the world is starting again. And it spreads and new issues and new difficulties and relationships, well, they continue to occur. So there came a time when certain ones said, we need our own collective or mutual security. So they began to migrate eastward. This is the story of, of cultures. This is the story of community. This is the story of mankind. And they migrate to a place called Babel. Maybe that strikes a note. They come to this place called Babel. It's eastward from where they were, and they built a huge city. And they established their own culture. And they said, we don't need God. We'll build this, this community, and we'll, we'll be inter, 
related and independent from God. And, and so you've got this culture, this powerful culture that rises up and says, we don't need God. And so God intervenes and he scatters them and he confuses their language. And people find themselves unable to communicate with one another and, and, and they, they begin to spread across the face of the earth with different languages and developing different cultures north, east, south, west. And now you have even more separation between man. Now you have, have this establishment of cultures across the world with different languages that, that can't communicate with one another. Starts all the way back in the garden with Cain and Abel. And here's the pattern, listen. Disobedience in the garden, sin entering the world, it creates two things, separation from God and separation from one another. That's the story of the Bible. And that's what happens when disobedience occurs from mankind. He separates himself from God and he separates himself from others. And there is a need for us to be restored to God and I believe also to one another. And God has always had a plan to do just that. That was his eternal purpose. It was to not only reconcile man to himself, but to reconcile man to one another. And the church plays a, an amazing role in that bringing us back together. So God speaks to a man named Abraham. You know the story. And he said, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to use you to, to, to change the world, to, to touch the nations. Abraham, look up into the sky. Look at the stars. That's how your descendants will be. I'm going to do something powerful with mankind. And I'm going to use you, Abraham, to raise up a nation. And you can follow the story of Israel all through the Old Testament. This covenant with Abraham. God's going to bless the nations through him. It's a, it's a foggy kind of thing to them. It's a foggy kind of thing to the Jews all the way through the Old Testament. But here in Ephesians chapter 3, it tells us that, that God begins to do something new now after Christ has come. He's had this eternal purpose. And, and here is where the Apostle Paul is talking about it here in the, in the book of Ephesians, and he's, he's saying, you know, that God's going to bring together the Gentiles and the Jew, his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. And so he talks about the church, the mystery that was not clear, he says, in previous ages is now revealed by Jesus coming through the line of Israel, of Abraham, coming to the world, but, but, but bringing grace and salvation, not just to the Jew, but to the Gentiles as well. Now stay with me. Jesus is crucified. He's, he's raised from the dead. He ascends into heaven. And the Holy Spirit gets poured out. If you have a Bible, keep your finger in Ephesians and go back with me to Acts chapter 2. You know this story. And it tells us in Acts chapter 2 
verse 5, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, listen to what it says, from every nation under heaven. And God's about to do something radical here. And when this sound occurred and the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language, then they were all amazed and marveled, saying one another, look, are not these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born, the Parthians, the Medes, the Eliamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt they're coming from, parts of Libya, Cyrene visitors from Rome, both Jews and Christians, even Arabs are there. And we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? And in that scenario, at that time, it tells us here in Acts chapter 2 that Jews from all over the world, every nation under heaven were there. Nationalities and backgrounds from Egypt, from Libya, African people, Asia is mentioned, India, China, Arabs. And on the day of Pentecost, God is, is bringing all the nations and the cultures together. And he's pouring out his spirit. And instead of confusing the languages, this time they all hear their own language, in their own ears, the message of Jesus Christ. And you know the story. On that day, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people are born again. And listen, the church is born. It's kind of a, the opposite of what happened in the Tower of Babel. Instead of them being separated and pushed out into different cultures, God now reverses the whole thing and they hear the message in their own language, and a whole new creation is born again. It's called the church. And from the very first day of the birth of the church, we begin to cross the barriers of race and language and culture. And God not only is going to bring people back to himself through the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he says, I'm going to bring you back together with one another. And all these people have come together from, from all these different nations. And God brings them not only relationship with himself, but from each other. Draws them together despite their language differences, despite their customs and their backgrounds, to, to respond to the message of Peter of a crucified Christ who has been raised from the dead. And whoever calls on his name, he shall be saved. And now the church is born. And in the New Testament, you, you hear this, now there is neither Jew nor, nor Greek nor slave nor free man. And, and this has been the central purpose that God has been working towards from the very beginning of time where, where man was separated from him and from one another. And now God, through the church, this eternal purpose was to bring all these different people back together 
socially and economically and culturally and racially, the red, the blue, the, the black, the white. God says, I'm going to bring them all together. All the differences that we have, and we have them socially and economically and culturally and racially. They're all side issues. They're all peripheral matters. As we come to Jesus, we all come to the foot of the cross, and we're all forgiven, and we're all brought into relationship with God, and we all discover that we're family, and there's unity, and there's great power and relationship that we have together in Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm from Northwest Florida. I'm from the South, a surfer, born and raised in, in Pensacola and Gulf Breeze, but you know what? I have more in common with someone from Minnesota who's an ice fisherman who knows Jesus than someone who doesn't, who's born in my own hometown and who's a surfer. You know why? Because we're of the same family. We've got the same God. You can travel all around the world, and I've had the great privilege of going to a lot of places, and many of those places with your founding pastor, Ray. And you meet people from all over the world who are racially different, culturally different, speak different languages. But when you begin to fellowship together around Jesus Christ, you're like, man, I've known this guy my whole life. And God breaks down all those barriers that separate us from one another because of Jesus Christ. You can, you can have a master's degree, a PhD, all kinds of titles but you have more in common with an illiterate who never finished grade school than someone with a doctorate like yours who does not know Jesus Christ because you're in the same family. Amen? Amen. It's just what he does. All these external differences, money and, and language and education and hobbies and race and culture are external issues that one day disappear. And your true identity and salvation in Christ will last forever and ever and ever. God does something amazing. His eternal purpose of the church was to, was to not only restore us back to himself, but to restore us to one another. That's why all the angels in heaven are blown away. God reconciles men and women to himself from every nation, it says in Acts chapter 2, and culture and tribe and tongue, and places them in the same body which he calls the church. It's a powerful thing. It's an amazing thing. And that's his purpose locally as well as his purpose globally. See, government can't do it. Government can't seem to bring us together in the same place and help us be unified. United Nations won't do it. Health organizations can't seem to pull it off. Mandates or stimulus checks haven't done it. The diversity in which we are one is an expression of the awesome wisdom and the glory of God. Jesus said it this way, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, that you live in San Diego. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> that you love one another. How is that going to be accomplished? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in a lot of church growth movements, you hear kind of this mindset. We're going after the millennials. 
No, we're, we're going after the young professionals. That's what our church is about. Or, or, or we're, we're going after, you know, this group or that group, this zip code or, or this slice of the pie. And, and don't misunderstand me. Every church has kind of a culture. Every church has kind of a personality and a style. But that represents our limitation, not our success. We, we've been called to embrace all people, Jew, Gentile, Greek, or slave. The beauty of the church is what makes us one is Jesus Christ. That's what he's called us to. He's called us to be one. Don't, don't ever give up on the church. It's not perfect. In fact, Paul prays there in, in, in Ephesians, he says, hey, I ask that you, verse 13, do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory. And this is what he says, listen, in the church by Jesus Christ, to all generations forever, amen. Number one, listen, the church matters because it's central in God's purpose. It's eternal. You might say, but John, there's so much wrong with the church. The culture doesn't recognize the church. The, 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 the culture that we live in now looks kind of down on the church. You ever heard this story? It's a story about a stepmom and a couple of ugly sisters. And one stepsister who had to sit around the cinders by the fire and keep everything clean and take care of the house. They called her Cinderella. Remember that story? The king decided to have a giant ball and invite all the women, all the maidens from within the kingdom because he wanted to find a wife for his son, the prince. And the two ugly sisters get all dressed up. Stepmom's all excited. They're going to the ball. They're going to meet the prince, and she thinks for sure he'll pick one of my daughters. And you know the story. They go, and a fairy godmother comes and visits little Cinderella, gives her a beautiful gown, turns a pumpkin into a carriage, and mice into horses, and gives her these glass slippers and she shows up at the ball, remember, and, and the prince is just like, he's just enamored with her. 
He's astounded by her. They dance all night. And she's got to get out of there. The fairy godmother said, at the strike of midnight, you'll turn back into Cinderella. You've you got to leave. She loses track of time. And right before it hits midnight, she runs out. And remember, she leaves one of her glass slippers behind. You guys heard this story before? <laughs> and, and, and so the prince finds the glass slipper. And he goes all through the kingdom. And you know, finally, he, he finds her. And her sisters and the stepmom tell her how, how worthless she is and, and that, you know, she doesn't have a future. But the prince comes. And her destiny is joy in the palace, joy in the kingdom. I, I think it's somewhat like the church in our culture today. It's looked down on. It said, you know, it doesn't have value. And the, our culture around us kind of disdains us and says so many different things that the Bible teaches are, are prejudiced or racist or whatever it might say. But the prince is coming. And he's going to take us to the palace, so to speak. And there's going to be happily ever after going on. You know what I'm saying? He's coming. Christ loves the church. He's going to present the church to himself, the scripture says, without spot or blemish. Now, we see the church right now. Listen, listen, we see the church right now with all its spots and with all its wrinkles. But one day at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there'll be no spots and there'll be no wrinkles. Now, I'm, I, I, I've gotten older over the years, and I've got these spots. I don't know if you have them. You look in the mirror, and you go, what is that spot? My wife says, you spent too much time in the sun. And there's a few wrinkles. Just think about when you get to heaven, no spots and no wrinkles. How cool is that? The church... Central in his purpose has an amazing destiny and future. The prince is coming. And number three, Christ loves the church. It's his bride. Listen to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll just read one verse. It says, Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loves the church and gave himself for her. Christ loves the church. And to that I say to you and I say to me, John, be careful how you treat his church. That's his bride. Be careful how you speak about it, how you participate in it. He loves the church. The church is his great gift that he gave himself for. How can we love and give ourselves to his bride? See, what if everybody treated the church just like you and me? What would it be like? God is gathering together through Jesus Christ an amazing, diverse body. Listen called the church. It's central to his purpose. 
It has an amazing future, and he loves it with all his heart. And you and I are part of that story. We're part of the church that God has put his finger on. Just like my, my little daughter, God has put his finger on you and said, I love you so much that I chose you to be my son, to be my daughter. You know, I'll never forget one time I was, I was uh, stopped in the church. I was down front after a service, and this guy came up to me, and he goes, do you think you would go talk to my father-in-law? I, I go, does he want me to talk to him? He goes, yeah, he, I've been giving him, this is a while back, because I've been giving him your CDs of your messages, and he's been listening to them, and he wants to know if you'll come talk to him. I said, well, is your father-in-law a believer? He goes, no, he's not. Would you go talk to him? I said, well, sure, yeah, I'll go. He said, well, I want you to know that he's, he's dying. I said, oh, okay. He said, he lives alone. He gave me the address. He set up the meeting. I showed up at the house, and I walked in the door, and there was no doubt that he was dying. He was jaundiced. His eyes were yellow. His skin was yellow. And I remember as we, we got acquainted and I started talking to him, I asked him, I said, um, do you believe in heaven? He goes, oh, yeah, I believe in heaven. I said, well, do you think you're going to heaven? He goes, no, I'm not going to heaven. I said, well, do you think your son-in-law is going to heaven? He goes, oh, yeah, my, my son-in-law is going to heaven. I said, why? Why do you think? He's, well, he, he believes the Bible. He loves Jesus. Um, he goes to church. He prays. And he treats my daughter like a man should treat a wife. I said, well, you're a lucky man. I said, do you think your daughter's going to heaven? He goes, oh, yeah, my daughter's going to heaven. She loves Jesus. She, she goes to church. She reads her Bible. I know she's going to heaven. I said, but you're not going to heaven. He goes, no. I said, well, well, tell me why you're not going to heaven. He goes, well, I don't believe the Bible. I said, what do you mean you don't believe the Bible? He goes, well, I don't believe it. I don't believe all that stuff about Moses, you know, and the Red Sea parting and then it coming back on the... He said, I, I don't believe all that stuff about Jonah being swallowed by a fish. He said, that's so silly. He said, all that stuff about the ark and the animals. He said, I, I can't believe all that stuff, so I'm not going to heaven. So I stood there for a minute and I said, who told you you had to believe all that stuff to go to heaven? He goes, don't I have to believe all that to go to heaven? I go, no. You only have to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, rose again, and received him as your Lord and Savior. He goes, you mean to tell me I don't have to believe in Noah or Jonah or Moses to go to heaven? Nope, Jesus never said that. He goes, well, I always thought you did. No. Nope. I said, you just got to believe in Jesus. He said, well, I believe in Jesus. I said, well, have you ever received him as your Lord and Savior? He said, no. So we prayed. He received the Lord. He got saved. And when we finished praying, I said, welcome to the family of God. You're, 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 God, you're part of God's pride. And I knew he was going to die soon. I said, but here's the thing. When you pass... 
and you get to heaven. You might see Moses and Noah and Jonah, even though you don't believe them. So tell them I said hi. You and I have this wonderful, amazing privilege to be a part of God's eternal purpose, the church, where God kind of did a, on the day of Pentecost, a backwards babble. And, he, and instead of scattering people, he used language to bring people together. And 3,000 people were born to what is now the church, and it's been growing and, and, and uniting, and God's been using it because the church is the central purpose that God uses to bring people back to himself and back to one another. And he, as you know, he has given us a great future. Church has a wonderful, fabulous future. And the Lord Jesus Christ loves the church. It's his bride. You're his bride. And God wants to use you. He wants to use me. And he wants us to be a part of this, this central purpose that he died and gave himself for. Christ loves the church. Amen? Let's stand together and let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for coming and dying on the cross for us and rising again. Bring us back into a relationship with you. But also, Lord, bringing us into a relationship with one another that we would have never had our experience had it not been for you. We wouldn't know each other right now. We wouldn't be here in this place right now. But Lord, because of the power of your spirit and the cross, you not only have restored us to you, but to one another in this amazing, wonderful thing called the church. Lord, help us to be a part of it. Help us to step into the story and be a part of this amazing thing you've created in birth called the Church of Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.